With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, Wild Country Nation. It's time for your Saturday morning wake-up call. Northwest Wild Country is on the air. Welcome to America's number one fishing, hunting, and outdoors radio show. And it's all brought to you by Waypoint Marine Group in Ballard and by Garmin Electronics. Now your Wild Country crew, Dwayne England, and your host, Joel Shangle. Well, it is Saturday morning, and welcome Northwest Wild Country Sports Radio 950 KJR and Comcast Sportsnet. Dwayne England in studio. Joel Shangle has left me once again on the road for three weeks, so you're stuck with me. Joining me today, my buddy Riley Fee. Good morning, Good everybody. Good morning, Riley. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, thanks. You had a nice short drive in this morning. Yeah, it's uh, not too bad from Bothell, where I live. Perfect. 30 what? minutes. This isn't uh, your first time in studio. This is the first time in this newer studio that we've been in for a number of years, but uh, way back yeah, in the day. it's good to be back. Yeah, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. So, uh, good reason to have you in, as everyone who pays attention to the show, social media, and everything else going on nowadays. There's a lot going on relative to structuring our up-and-coming seasons. Riley is intimately involved with that, with the Puget Sound uh, Fisheries Advisory Group, and I've uh, been doing that for a number of years, so... Asked you to come in studio. We're going to cover a number of topics in regards to that. Kind of get everybody up to speed because, I mean, as we roll into the latter part of April, this thing is supposed to get finalized. And we don't want to see, like last year, until June before we have season set. Correct? That's correct. Yeah. So uh, we're going to pick our way through a number of uh, topics. But uh, to get started uh, this morning, we are going to check in with Brandon Glass down there in the Columbia. The water is still running extremely high. Uh, but guys are out, in fact, going after springers once again as the water clarity has come back. They're right up tight to the shore. Brandon's pulled a few fish the last couple of days. He's fishing this morning. Hopefully Cody's out there as well. Uh, I'll be making a run down there tomorrow morning, jumping in the boat with Cody. We have our annual uh, Northwest Wild Country Day One Outdoors combo trip going on with some guests joining us. So looking forward to that. But to get an update on situation down there, we're going to talk with Brandon Glass. Um, the uh, the couple things going on, we, we want to kind of also, uh, Riley, take a look at uh, hatch, hatchery plant numbers relative to Puget Sound. There's some stuff going on that uh, indicates, you know, some numbers are pretty much common where they've been. Some numbers are showing a bit of a cutback. This is kind of a segue into future uh, information coming out as we kind of break down hatcheries throughout Puget Sound and where the numbers are and who's contributing and dollar amounts cost and things like that. We're also going to touch on the fact that the uh, the Senate has said no to fee increases on our uh, uh, angling licenses and whatnot. So how that may have caused an effect with WDFW and what future plans hold for that. Um, then, of course, at 7 o'clock, Riley, putting you kind of on the hot seat, we are going to kind of go through Puget Sound overall, Northern Rivers, basin by basin as we jump down to the south end here. We're going to take a look at what we do and maybe don't get relative to some of our Chinook and Coho fisheries. Some of it are restraints based on Coho or even, believe it or not, humpy populations. So 
there's a lot going on there and uh, well worth covering as we kind of get into this NOF process. Don't yeah, you think? yeah, I agree. I think at this point we can start to get an idea of what some of the seasons are going to look like, what some of our opportunities and restraints are going to be. Um, we have a little bit of shifting this year in terms of some of the critical stocks that tend to shape and drive a lot of the fisheries proposals that we can work with our co-managers on. Uh, so we'll review some of that. We'll talk about some of the Puget Sound rivers, um, some South Sound river yep. opportunities. A lot uh, of folks looking at that because we know it was kind of, I guess, for lack of a better term, taken away from us last year. We want to see if we get some of that back. So a lot of that, lots of that to talk about at the 7 o'clock hour. Mm-hmm. We're also going to check in with uh, our good buddy Bill Herzog. He went over and uh, him and Danny Bravo kind of joined up with him. They fished Omac Lake. Believe it or not, it's just outside or inside of OMAC there, and uh, caught some unbelievable uh, Lahant uh, cutthroat. It's just um, kind of a new fishery for Bill. He'd done it years ago, but this is three- to six-pound cutthroat off the shore, so that was pretty impressive, well worth the discussion. And then closing out, you know, we had a little article uh, put up on social media by our buddies over there at uh, Tidal Exchange, Riley, that uh, kind of... You know, put the question out there. Ten thousand uh, coho kind of disappeared out of Lake Washington, and, and folks kind of wanted to know why. So this this article was well written. There's a lot of intel put into this. A lot of uh, information seeking took their time. Tidal Exchange puts it out there. I shared it on our Wild Country page, as in most of their articles at Tidal Exchange. I I put on our our page because it gets a lot of a lot of views, and uh, it was seen by over thirty thousand people just through the Wild Country uh, uh, share alone. Um, that article and conversation and topic has blown up. There's some numbers uh, being bounced around. There's different hands dipping into that fishery. We're going to kind of break it down as to why that kind of happened as it did as we close out the show. So uh, with that, Sounds lots good. of yeah, lots of things to talk about, a lot of things uh, in the Puget Sound area that we're going to cover today. But before we get to all that, we're going to roll out the, this week's uh, installment of the Wild Five. So the... Uh, the Senate Bill 5761, I don't know if you've uh, paid attention to this. I know we had some emails going back and forth earlier in the week. A little bit, yeah. Amongst some of our guys, and there was a, um, it's kind of deciphering the governmental jargon, as I like to say. As you read through this thing, it would indicate early on as you're reading in the first draft, it looks like there are hands in there, some, some representatives uh, at the state level, trying to make it so that reporting accurate numbers, reporting catch numbers for tribal and non-tribal commercial fisheries would become non-public access information. It would also be, there were those that were thinking this is going to be completely done without any information being forwarded to WDFW. And I'm like, that can't be possible. You can't manage, co-manage a fishery as much as we do now if they completely stop and disregard putting forth numbers. Whether the numbers they're getting nowadays are accurate or not, that's to be determined. But the fact that somebody was trying to construct a bill that would say, hey, there's no number sharing. Well, that just didn't make sense. So I dug into this thing. I actually talked to a couple of representatives. That's not the intent of this bill. This bill has already passed through the Senate, and it's gaining traction in the House. And it is, as it was written, it's like, well, if uh, this gets through, Governor Inslee will more than likely stamp this thing. So I was a little concerned. I thought, how can we move forward as we the recreational community are asking for more transparency. And here now, all of a sudden, we got this bill being introduced that may uh, preclude those that are commercially harvesting from producing numbers. It didn't make sense. Well, that's not the intent. The intent of that bill is to not uh, put out there for public um, 
information, the names, addresses, phone numbers, basically personal information. Of, Sensitive personal yeah, information. Of, yeah, of the tribal fishermen and the non-tribal commercial fishermen mm-hmm. because, you know, there are people out there that would try to use that information. Yeah, for, I think it also included location data. It did. Timing. It did. Um, like but as it, as it pertains to the resource and the numbers and species and, and you know, all out numbers of fish being harvested, those things will still be forwarded to WDFW. And that type of information is accessible through PDF files that you can obtain as Joe Public in the state of Washington. You yeah, have through to, public data request. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you can go public data request. You and I have both done it. It's how we get some of our facts and figures, and it helps you keep up on that stuff. So, uh, you know, stand down on that one. Not uh, Don't need to go storming on Olympia and, and throw rocks and things. So I think we're okay in that regard. Um, here's some interesting news and pretty exciting for all those that have been paying attention. The Wainucci 7,400 access that's been closed off to the majority of us. Well, 98% of us for the past uh, couple of years. Great news. This has uh, been in the works. Brian Blake, Representative Blake, has had his hand in this. And basically, Director Unsworth uh, and staff met with Green Diamond uh, um, folks and they've come to an agreement, looks like a five-year lease to initiate this thing. Green Diamond has agreed to uh, grade the road, the pre-existing road that was there years ago, uh, through the gate. Uh, and once you get off the main road there, on out through to the gravel bar, which supplies uh, ample parking on the gravel bar. Parking's been the big issue. They run a lot of logging trucks up and down that road. And you really can't be launching at the bridge and leave your rigs on the road because it's dangerous for you and your vehicles and boats and, of course, the guys driving trucks. So um, Unsworth basically, after several meetings, said, look, find the money in the budget and let's get this thing done is what he directed staff to do. So 7,400 line, once they get the road graded out and punched through to the gravel bar, is going to be opened up. Tentative target date they're hoping for June for for the summer steelhead opener. That may or may not happen, but it's definitely on the table. Things are moving forward, and I guarantee, well, I shouldn't say I guarantee, but all indications are, especially by next winter, we will have access at 7,400, which is going to be great because it takes a tremendous amount of pressure off the lower river, river and it moves a good percentage of folks back up river, gives you another 13, 14 miles of river to float, get away from people. Yeah, it gets busy up there, but once we start spreading everybody out on the river like we used to, it's not going to seem yeah, as bad. Yeah, we might have to go do a little research for our listeners. We may that. have to go up yeah. there and check it out. <laughs> Summer's calling me up there on the old pontoon boat, that's for sure. So good news in that regard. Uh, number three on the Wild Five this week, they got some uh, openers coming up. Uh, out in Gray's Harbor, uh, Vance Creek Pond Number 1 will open to fishing for spring break. Now, this is an opportunity for... Um, under 15 years of age, so kids 15 and under, seniors 70 and over, and, of course, uh, persons with disability cards. The uh, The state is opening up Vance Creek Pond Number 1 for basically a week, April 1st through April 9th. You can go out there um, if you fall under those qualifications, and you got a week to fish during spring break. It's an early opener. Uh, trout and other uh, species of fish are obtainable, and... Um, you know, go go to the WDFW site, look up Vance Creek uh, Pond 1, and uh, take a look at, you know, how to get there if you have and you want to get in on some early opportunity before the masses come. It's a great opportunity. Get your kids out, do a little fishing, get your disabled uh, uh, persons out, and uh, get them some time on the water for that week. Now, it'll close after the 9th, and then it reopens on the 22nd. Yeah, and with I think the these types of opportunities are great because, you know, I have two daughters that I like bringing out uh, to some of the lakes in the area up on the north end. Yeah. Uh, you have to keep them hooked uh, uh, yeah. on the fishing. You, you know, if there's not opportunity and you don't have uh, a lot of um, fish to uh, to chase 
you know, in these types of uh, waters, it, you know, the kids can lose interest pretty quick. So this is a great chance for everybody to, you know, bring their kids out and try to put them on kind of a prime spring fishery and absolutely get them working on that. It uh, more than likely it won't get extremely crowded. There should be plenty of opportunity and. Um, you know, again, like you said, Riley, it's all about keeping kids interested. And when you go out on cold, wet days and the fishing is horrible. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're not really giving them the best option, right? better have right? snacks or a backup <laughs> yeah. plan. Yeah. Or a backup plan and a heater. So... Uh, hopefully the weather starts getting nicer. The long-range forecast first week of uh, April, it's looking much better and good opportunity to get kids and seniors out and persons with disability. Along with that, uh, Failure Lake, uh, also out there in uh, Grays Harbor County, will open for a kids-only fishing derby. That is uh, 8 a.m. through 12 p.m. April 15th, normally known as Tax Day, but that just happens to be a Saturday this year, I believe. So uh, Failure Lake in Grays Harbor County, um, they're going to open this up. This is for boys and girls ages 14 and under. So it's a kids fishing derby. The uh, the Grays Harbor Pogie Club is putting this on. And if you want more information on it, just get on Facebook. Um, look up Grays Harbor Pogie Club on their Facebook page. All the information's there. Um, some information from our good buddy Jim Babcock and and uh, uh, the the Grays Harbor Guides Association is helping out with this. They're going to provide five or six boats out there to take kids out on the lake that day who might normally be stuck on the shore. There's also some life jacket giveaways, limited number available. But uh, they got a lot of uh, a lot of sponsors going into this thing, uh, like you and I just talked about, man. This is a great opportunity to get your kids out there, 14 yeah, and under. Yep, boys and girls, get them out there. Um, one day, uh, Kids Fishing Derby, April 15th. So look, uh, look, that up on, uh, look that up on the Grays Harbor Pogie Club Facebook page. All right, number four. Something uh, you're kind of interested in and uh, took note of. Uh, today, March 25th uh, through April 30th, we now have Marine Area 7, San Juan Islands, reopened again uh, for Chinook fishing. huh? Yeah, for blackmouth. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, daily limit for hatchery Chinook uh, is one. Um, all coho and wild Chinook must be released. Um, this is because the, the recent test fisheries have indicated there's a... Uh, Lower number of sublegal fish in the area, so they're not so worried about those encounters. A little bit of a lower number of yeah. sublegal fish. Um, I think that uh, Mark Blatzell with the Department of Fish and Wildlife that works with the fishery advisory group and the rest of the department to monitor these fisheries throughout the winter, uh, make adjustments, and, and help all the advisors uh, consult the department on right. when we should and shouldn't open these seasons. I think they've done a great job this year. Um, you know, earlier in the winter, there was a much higher uh, encounter rate of sublegal fish, you know, juvenile fish in the area. And it made sense to close it down because we were trending towards a fishery that was going to probably close sometime in, in middle of March. I think it was two weeks yeah. from, from the time that we looked at it last. So by closing it for a month and then reopening it now, we're anticipating it'll go through the end of the, the scheduled season date. And you got better weather. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, some of the test fishing indicates there's a higher number number of adult hatchery fish. So 
I think the anglers that are going out there probably right now, hope my buddy Aaron's on the road <laughs> listening. Yeah. Uh, they're going to get out there and find uh, some pretty good opportunity and a higher number of hatchery fish to bring home. Yeah. You know, when we have a lot of sublegal encounters, I mean, that just jeopardizes our fishery overall. Yeah. Um, there's a mortality rate associated with that. And, uh, you know, I, I, for one, still at times get a little frustrated about some of our season setting and how we monitor in encounters you know, numbers of encounters on some of these fish. Uh, the number for this one, for example, I believe it's 10,000. Now that it's open, we're still monitoring it to the point where do I have that number. 10,248 uh, Chinook encounters is yeah, what Yeah, we're at 80% on our impact uh, encounter rate right now. Right. I think that, uh, you know. Prior to closing we, it, we were at 80%. The target is 100%. Yep. Um, we have a little bit of room if it goes to 105 or 110. That, sure. That's still within 120 cap. Um, and, you know, I can understand why this is frustrating to a lot of anglers uh, that we got all these openings and closings. You got to try and keep tabs on things. But, yeah. you know, when we set seasons at the beginning of the year, or I should say in at the beginning of the year in April, mm-hmm. North Falcon, we have, uh, you know, a guide, some guidelines and some time frames that these tr- seasons are traditionally set in. And then we have to go look on the water and find out, you know, how many shakers are in there, how many adult fish are in there and adjust accordingly so that we can maximize our opportunities throughout the year. So while this can be difficult to, to work you know, within as a fisherman, you have to realize that the, the guys at the department that, that know how the fishery is looking, all the advisors that are taking that information in and, and bringing in reports from on the water back to the department, we're shaping these seasons to maximize opportunity for everybody because that's, yeah. that's what's optimal. So. Um, well, yeah. it's like it's like any other Chinook opener or closing out there in Puget Sound. Area yeah. 9, July 16th, the annual opener, if that's what we shoot for, is a prime example. We have a uh, set number of encounters that we're uh, entitled to for that summer fishery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they project it to go out to August whatever. Uh, if you have a high participation number, and you have a uh, factor of three or four rods per boat, and, you know, they can't creel every boat ramp. So there's numbers ru- kind of rubber-stamped on this thing at times to try and make sure we don't over-exceed the encounter number. Uh, for guys who make plans to, hey, I'm taking a week off work or four days off work, I got my hotel booked, and, you know, they want to wait a little latter part of the season because they want to try to get some bigger fish, and, and versus early on where it seems to be a lot of just barely legal fish at times, depending where you're fishing. Uh, and then all of a sudden they have to close the season and they have to cancel all their plans and everything. I get that. Uh, you know, so uh, you and I have had discussions. There's there's folks we know who are deep ingrained into this stuff to look at and say quota based or season based. In other words, is it all based on encounters or do we look at a a July 16th through August 15 opener and just put it there? Now, if the run is overperforming, we're going to have a, a high encounter and a high catch rate, and that would tell you that, well, there must be plenty of fish getting past because the, the hook ratio of the biters is pretty substantial. If we're not encountering a lot of fish, it means perhaps the projection is underperforming. And again, versus the percentage that we're encountering on percentage of size of run, we're not having such a huge effect or impact on it. So there's two foods for thought there. I'm kind of one that would say, yeah, I like the – the bookend season to season, open it, close it, and see how it performs. Um, there's those that are much smarter than me that spend a lot of time out there and do all the numbers with the propellers on their helm, you know, on their hat. That say no, we have to do 
encounters based on productivity. Yeah, that's, you know, changing these things can be like, you know, turning a, a, a freighter around in the town. Yeah. It takes a while to, it does. Uh, you know, to modify the, the way that we structure our season. There's a lot of people out there um, with some great ideas. I think that uh, Brian and I on Title Exchange will be publishing some options uh, in working with some of the, the senior and even retired biologists yeah. in the department uh, over the next couple of weeks. So. Um, we'll see what we can do yeah. you know, in terms of different proposals. You can't you can't get change if you don't bring it to the table. Yep. And there are a lot of guys that, you know, a good number of guys that are pretty passionate about this and look into this extensively, trying to come up with ways of constructing these seasons that are you know conducive to persons being able to set their time and go enjoy the fishery. So the fact that we got it back open up is good news, and uh, we still have a few thousand encounters to go after, so let's, let's go get them. Yep. Uh, number five on the five before we close this out. Uh, you may have seen it yesterday, Raleigh, on uh, social media, Facebook, and otherwise. Senate leaders reject WDFW fee increase. Now, according to Senator Kirk Pearson uh, of the Senate Natural Resources and Parks Committee, and this is uh, him being quoted, the problem is not a money issue, it's a leadership problem. And I kind of read that going, whoa, that's just kind of, Throwing, throwing a rock right at it. Um, Pearson said that, uh, that being said, Senate budget is providing $5 million from the general fund to protect uh, hatcheries and core agency functions while bringing in outside performance and management support. Um, so the Senate has rejected the, the information put out there on the table relative to WDFW seeking fee increases. We had talked about this for the past six or eight months. Uh, Director Unsworth was in here. I uh, had that discussion with him and Ron Warren in studio. We had him on the phone and talked about it a few times. The projection was for these fee increases. And, you know, the majority of folks were basically saying, hey, I don't mind fee increases, but I would like to be assured that we're not going to continue to get stuff taken away. seems like we're paying more and getting less. Um, and there's there's reasons on both sides of the fence, and I can see it. But uh, as I read through some of these articles, basically they're calling uh, on WDFW to clean house, tighten up their budget uh, internally, and uh, the fact that they, they're just saying you don't need more money. And that's from the Senate. So they are going to get the $5 million from the general fund uh, to go into hatchery programs and core agency functions. Currently, uh, this bill or this proposal sits on the uh, the House committee, and— um, information coming out of the House would indicate that it does not or will not have enough votes to get out of the House to, to say yeah, yes. we'll see what happens with the House there. And, you know, some of the other things that Pearson said that were interesting, what, uh, that this budget keeps, you know, the core agency in place while they correct past problems, yeah. quote-unquote, yeah. and overhaul, quote-unquote, the agency. So it'll be really interesting, I think, uh, uh, through, you know, the next, six, eight months to see what he means by that. Yeah, and also, in all fairness, you got to understand, some of these things that uh, Pearson is uh, alluding to were in place prior to Unsworth taking the reins. It wasn't like Jim got in and all of a sudden just turned all this stuff upside down. They're still, <clears throat> excuse me, they're recovering from things previous years uh, prior to Unsworth coming in. So there's some uh, there's some tightening to do within WDSW, it sounds like. We have no idea what that means. Like, and like you said, six to eight months down the road, we're going to take a look at it and see what it is. Um, I, uh, sources are telling me that it will not get passed in the house and they too will look at the, the general fund and see if they can pull monies out to, uh, maybe match what the Senate's providing. If that is the case, there's an additional 10 million into WDFW budget this year, which is kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a decent number that they were shooting for 
in the first place. So it kind of puts them in the ballpark, right? Yeah, and let's be honest, change is good. This is a governmental agency. It, it is. takes forever to, to make, you know, big, substantial change. Right. Uh, change can bring about a lot of different good things. So yeah. I'm optimistic. Yeah, I am too. It, just because the Senate said no, it's not the end of the world. Yep. Um, there are those who are dancing to say, oh, sweet, we don't have fee increases. Let's go fishing. Um, let's hope it all works out in the end. Let's, uh, let's tighten up that budget and continue to uh, not uh, ax any programs is what we want to see. So uh, with that, that brings us to the close of the Wild Five. We've got a lot going on. Um, Going to jump out for a break. We come back, we'll, uh, we'll get Brandon Glass on the phone. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at Chumba Casino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Team hookup guide service. He's out there on the Columbia Fish and Springers. I plan to go down there tomorrow and give it a go. So he better give me a good I hope report. You follow him around. That guy kills him. Remember well, last year? Yeah. We were down there. Oh, yeah. He was just boom, boom. Next Those guys guy. get it done. So going to talk with Brandon Glass, team hookup. When we come back from the break right here, Sports Radio 950 KJR and Comcast Sportsnet. Country on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. Well, as we roll into the 6:30 hour, welcome back, Sports Radio 950 KJR. This is Northwest Wild Country and Comcast Sportsnet. Dwayne England, Riley Fee, joining me in studio this morning. Thanks again, man. Absolutely. You're going to bring a lot of good info to the table this morning, so I'm hoping folks are paying attention. Uh, we do have a few segments to do on the how tos and where's to go, but we also have some. You know, good information relative to how our seasons are shaping up and, and kind of what's going on. So it's all yeah, important. we can make some predictions about North of Falcon this year. Nothing set in stone. Uh, right. We've got some ideas of what the seasons are going to look like, and we'll share that later. Yeah, perfect. So, but before we jump into all that, we have some uh, Springer fishing on the minds of many. And uh, joining us this morning is uh, our good buddy Brandon Glass, Team Hookup Guide Service. I think I pushed the right button. I got you, Brandon. Hey, good morning. Hey, morning, buddy. Thanks for uh, jumping on again this morning. I uh, want to talk a little high-water springer fishing down there on the uh, Columbia. Looks like the past uh, couple of days you uh, you got out, found uh, found a fish or two. Yesterday you were dealing with some boat issues, but you told me you'd be back out on the water this morning. Is that right? Uh, yeah, exactly. So I was out uh, last Thursday, and, uh, yeah, I broke my winch on my, tra- on my trailer, so I had to go get a new winch uh, yesterday, so I couldn't go fishing, so... But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I would say high-water tactics, or what do you mean flooding tactics? <laughs> What's the uh, – I didn't uh, – I, I think it says call it high-water really high flooding in the tree tactics. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't uh, jump on the Vancouver um, um, uh, gauge this morning. I'm busy running around here in the studio. So uh, what, uh, what level are we still at down there as far as what, what can folks anticipate if they haven't looked at the gauge? Yeah, it's about 17.3 uh, feet. Okay, and for those that don't really follow that on a normal basis, what's uh, what's a normal flow should be? If we're at seventeen plus, what should we, we should, be? We, we should be at seven feet right now. That's seven, a pretty normal height. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, ten feet higher than normal, and ten feet in the Columbia. You got to think when that thing's vertically ten feet, that thing spreads out so wide that it really takes over the entire uh, you know shorelines and islands, and you're up in the trees, up in the grass. I mean. 
a lot of people's properties that are right on the river, their waters up into their grass now. Yeah, which is crazy to even fathom. I mean, we're talking the Columbia River. It can move a tremendous amount of water. And we look at the amount of rain we've had over here the last couple of days, and you're thinking, gosh, why is the thing so high? Well, as we kind of alluded to last week, it's this snowmelt on the east side uh, that continues to just drain into there. And, boy, once that river gets flowing from up top and it collects every every uh, river feeding into it all the way down, once we get to that uh, Portland area, that, that I-5-205 corridor, uh, we got some tremendous amounts of water coming through, down through uh, Vancouver area and uh, Woodland and beyond. So uh, kind of give us an idea, uh, Brandon, as far as the water's so high, you're up in the trees, how do you find a place to fish, and, and what's your uh, what's your business about going going after them? Well, you know, like Ryan said, a lot of people have kind of that uh, mindset and thought of like, well, it's in the trees, the water's got a lot of dirtiness to it, I'm not going to go fishing, it's not even worth it. You know, and, you know, of course, you know, if you don't go, you know, you'll never catch one. Yep. So, you know, it's one of those things we only have a short season. Uh, as of the other day, I think Oregon had only counted 41 fish for the entire season. I'm not sure what the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife has counted, but at least on the Oregon side, only 41. So, you know, we're supposed to get through the six. I think we have 7,000 fish. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're going to get an extension. So, Yeah, I mean, we could you know, be looking at an extension for a couple weeks. You know, by the time this thing settles down and folks actually get time on the water and we have any impact on it at all. What was, uh, have you looked lately, what's the latest dam count as far as Springers over Bonneville? Uh, 12 is what I saw yesterday, so I haven't looked this morning yet. But, uh, (laughs) you know, dam counts are really um, pushed by water temperature. Yeah. And the fish don't really go over that dam until we hit a certain water temperature. And, you know, 45 kind of is that special number that, once we reach 45 degrees in the Columbia, that, that number just starts spiking straight up and those fish start going. So there's something about that number on that uh, that water temperature that those fish really start moving. I think a couple of weeks ago when we talked to Cameron Black, uh, he indicated, if I remember right, we were at 38, 39 degrees possibly, just sub 40. So what are we at now? What were you at Thursday when you are out? I was actually about 42.8 degrees okay. and that's on a calibrated temp, uh, gauge and that's where i put my thermometer in the water for a long period of time pulled it out and recalibrated my my gauge to uh to match the the thermometer so gotcha i'm pretty confident it's about probably almost 40 43 degrees almost yeah uh we do have a little bit of warmer weather coming as we roll into the first week of april looks like uh, we may start hitting into the 60s and get some sunshine as we start warming up that surface uh, temperatures on that thing um, all the way from the east side down. Of course, you know, all that snow melt adds cold water to it. So then it takes a while to filter on over to this west side and start warming up. Um, so yep. let's talk about uh, boat positioning and anchoring. How deep of water are you actually fishing in? Six to 12 feet? What's your what's your go-to depth that you're targeting right now? Okay, so right now at the river being about 17, uh, anywhere between 16 and 18 feet, you know, we were talking about water being pushed up into the trees at the base of the trees where you normally have high, dry sand, right now it's uh, 6 to 10 feet deep right there, okay? Mm-hmm. So when you take your vessel along the shorelines, you know, you're looking for anything between 8 and, you know, 12 feet of water. Because once you get up in the bushes, if you get up in there a little ways, you can't troll because there's so much debris. You have to kind of hold position and fish your equipment there and, you know, try to stay clean without getting in the, the grass and the bushes. But uh, probably about... Uh, 8 to 14 feet is kind of what you're looking for right now. So if you stay in that 10 to 14 feet of water, you're probably staying out of the main bushes. Yeah. 
Uh, you just staying put on your uh, on your kicker, or are you throwing you getting on anchor and just uh, running plugs? What's your program? Yeah, right now actually most of my my program has not been anchoring yet. Um, I've actually been trolling and doing mostly uphill trolling. So oh. if people aren't familiar with that, that's trolling into the current. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody's kind of used to the downhill trolls where you turn, you run up river, you troll downstream. Well, that right now is gonna be really tough to really get them unless you fish maybe the very low. Uh, you know, woodland area down. And the reason why I say that is because up here, if you're going to be doing a downhill trolling where you're not getting snagged, you're out in, you know, 25, 30 feet of water and you're probably moving at four to five miles an hour. And, you know, we only have right now about 10 to 12 inches of viz. Yeah. So, you know, moving that fast and that short of, um, you know, clarity, you're going to have really tough times trying to catch one. So trolling against the current, doing the upriver troll, what uh, what do you factor your, your actual troll speed at? Uh, speed over ground or what's your indicators telling you you're going against the current? Yeah, so I always do a SOG, so that's speed over ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's your GPS speed. Don't watch your wheel. Wheel uh, will, will kind of mess you up. So what you want to do is you always want to make at least a half mile an hour um, uphill. You don't want to just hold there. If you're holding there, what happened, your gear might just sink on the bottom and lay there. But okay. if you're making at least some progress upstream, and uh, you know your lines are at a 45 to you know I don't know 100, uh, like a 80 degree angle where that line's really ripping out there, but yeah. you got enough lead that you're still feeling bottom. You know you you know you're doing it right. So that's that's the very very key part right there. You want to make sure you use enough lead that you're always hitting bottom, but you're not straight up down. You need to be a pretty good angle in your line. Okay, so we're uh, we're running our dropper lead program, uh, inline f- rotating fish flash, and uh, what do we got at the what do we got at the terminal end? What are you dragging behind that fish flash? Yeah, so uh, a lot of the light fish flashes now. Since we got a, you know ten to twelve inch viz, uh, I'm going to go very bright colors, mm-hmm. a lot of painted stuff, a lot of UV, and uh, I'm even doing lots of double flashers. Yeah. Yeah. So, Brandon, this time of year, you know, with the water spread out so much, um, none of it, nobody's down there fishing traditional spots because they're they're far too deep and the water's far too fast. So, t- maybe talk to listeners a little bit about what parts of the river you're mo- you've moved to um, to target these fish with the water so high. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a you know good good point right there is that you know the traditional spots that everybody's you know either fished or heard about fishing or seen on a map. You know, those spots you just kind of have to throw away now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you say, like, there's a common name like Davis Bar, I'll just throw that one out there because that's down below I-5. That's right in front of the Willamette. That's on the Washington side. It's right next to Tidewater uh, Barge Lines. Yeah. That's a big sandbar that comes out. And that sandbar where most people normally fish is at the 28 to 38-foot depth line. Hmm. Okay, if you want to go out there and fish that depth line right now, you're in 48 feet of water. Yeah, right. You know, and you're in about four to five miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So you need to go in right next to shore, which is inside the barges, and you're going to try and target in there where it's 25, you know, 18 to 25 feet of water. Mm-hmm. If you get into the bushes, then it's very hard to throw downhill because there's so much snag. That's where you got to turn around and just kind of hold position, make way upstream as slow as you can so you're not hanging up the whole time. And, uh, you know, hope for the best. I mean, here's the thing. The springers are in the river. They're there. Yeah. Okay. They are good biters. Right. So you got to you gotta, gotta hold something in front of their face for a moment so they can find it, smell it, and then, uh, you know, and take, you know, take, 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 take the bait. So it's kind of one of those things. That it's definitely tough. Um, but, you know, if you don't go, you'll never catch one. Yeah, it's doable. How much, how much lead are you dropping? 
You're, we're moving up river a half mile an hour going against the flow. How much lead? You know, I was in a spot the other day that was very slow current, very boily, and uh, I was using fours and fives, but uh, a lot of times you're going to be using six to tens. Gotcha. Well, I'd ask yeah. you if you have any room for uh, openings, but generally you're booked all the way through to the end of uh, the fall season down at Bowie Tent. So uh, <laughs> if, if folks do want to check out what you got going on, what's the best place to get a hold of you? Yeah, they can just get a hold of me. Uh, you know, what, number one actually is Facebook. That's a pretty easy way to get in touch with me, just Brandon Glass on Facebook. Um, I know I have a lot of people pending on uh, me to you know, accept their friend request, but I take forever to do that. So just send me, uh, shoot me a message over a messenger on that. Or phone call me at 503-260-8285. I do have some availability here in April. Okay. And with that extension, you know, we'll be in the Willamette or Columbia, depending on what we get for an extension. Yeah, good point. All right, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, I may see you down there tomorrow, depending where Cody decides to go. So uh, good luck, and uh, we'll be in touch. Have a great day. Thanks a lot, Brandon. All right, guys. Hey, tight tight lines, everybody. Good luck. You bet. We'll see you. Brandon Glass, Team Hookup. You want to find out what's going on in the Columbia, just follow him. He's the man. Check out what him or a handful of the other guys down there have going on. But he's got it pretty well dialed. So, all right, up against a break here. When we come back, uh, Riley, you and I are going to talk a little bit about the the um, the current budget status, as we mentioned in the Wild Five, kind of dig into that just a little bit more. But we're also going to talk about uh, the kind of numbers that we're aware of that are kind of out there relative to hatchery plants uh, going back to 2016. We've noticed uh, some some changes in the numbers, I guess, if you will. And we'll just we'll kind of talk about that. What uh, what's going on with some of the hatchery plants? Maybe why, or maybe we don't know. But we'll find out. We come back right here, Sports Radio 950 KJR and Comcast Sportsnet. Northwest Wild Country on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. Welcome back, Northwest Wild Country Sports Radio 950 KJR and of course Comcast Sportsnet. Uh, Riley, so kind of at the top of the hour under the Wild Five, briefly touched on the fact that the Senate said no to fee increases for WDFW. And those that work for WDFW and Director Unsworth himself quoted in saying, you know, we really need the fee increases to generate the budget we need to get programs back. They did a great job getting out into the public, going to community meetings, uh, making their uh, selves available via input online, emails, all that type of stuff. They really want persons to have access to providing them with information. The simple questions were, what programs do you want? What are you missing out on that you'd like to see us bring back? Where do you think we can improve? I mean, the the questions were a, a, a number, and folks responded. And in talking with Jim and others uh, on staff, you know, we want to make sure we don't lose enforcement. We want to make sure we don't continue to have hatchery cutbacks. We we want uh, the biologists and the field uh, personnel to have monies and uh, grants to do their, their studies and research because part of the evolution of producing fish and, and getting our fish to return is increasing our ability with what we learn in science, right? And, and habitat restoration, that's a huge one, uh, especially if you talk to the co-managers. So there's a lot of programs that need to be funded. When we start talking... Uh, Xing the budget out. The Senate's already come out and said, hey, no, you don't need more money. You need to kind of realign what you have going on. I mean, does that give you any concern? Do you, what's the first thing you think of? Are we going to lose out on something now? Well, I hope not. I think that, you know, uh, one of the overarching concerns that the anglers provided back to the department with the uh, fee increase 
is um, we don't want to pay more for less. They Correct. want to they want to see increased opportunity. They want to see increased hatchery plants in certain systems. Yep. They want to see smarter, uh, you know, management. They want to see better enforcement of our fisheries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, habitat enhancement all, all down the line. I think opportunity was one of the the keys there. And um, you know, my hope is that uh, with this. Uh, you know, with Senator Pearson's remarks yesterday, as well as the five million dollar, um, I think was that an increase or is it just a supplement? I'm not That's quite sure. I, I would interpret that as kind of a supplement coming out of the general fund, yeah. to put into their mm-hmm. operational op- uh, options. Yeah, so we'll see what happens in the House. Correct. Uh, I think five million dollars and uh, his comments are are are, are positive. Like mm-hmm. you said earlier, change is good. Yeah. Um, we'll have to see what they do with that money. We will. So as we look at just jumping back to 2016, I mean, the numbers are available. And uh, if you if you know where to dig them up and who to talk to, you can get your hands on numbers. And you and I kind of bounced around looking at a few numbers. Um, as it relates to hatchery stock plants for overall Puget Sound, no specific hatchery or river. We're just talking collectively throughout Puget Sound, Chinook and Coho. Okay, Chinook for 2016 for WDFW is pretty consistent. They're they're kind of staying the course for the past 10 to 12 year uh, pattern if you look at the numbers. And uh, 2016 was no different. They're at uh, over 27 million at 27 million 766 Chinook being dumped into Puget Sound. And understand that seems like an enormous number. Puget Sound's a pretty big area, and of course we're up against ESA restrictions. We cannot impact the wild fish, so the hatchery programs are very closely monitored okay uh my question is and i and i think we got the numbers there on the on the on the graph is that it would appear that the tribal co-managers uh for the same time frame they were staying par for the course for the past 10 or so years but all of a sudden in 2016 their hatchery production uh decreased by upwards of 65 percent yeah in their Uh, contribution yeah brian blake just published this uh these uh, statistics this week, uh, you can go to his website mm-hmm. and take a look directly at the Excel sheets that, that indicate that while the state's uh, production has been you know very similar year over year, mm-hmm. this year we see a huge reduction in tribal uh, you know plants for releases in Puget Sound on both Chinook and Coho. Yeah. And, you know, I did a little bit of digging this week to try to find out why. Right. Um, I, ta- I contact Rob Jones at NOAA. I talked to, you know, uh, I tried to reach out to NWIFC, mm-hmm. talk to people at the department, and we don't know why yet, really. Um, I think that we can suppose that, you know, 2015, we had the warm water, we had the blob, we had a lot of tough conditions. Uh, we could have low egg take. We could mm-hmm. have had, you know, poor habitat conditions. Um, but we, we, need to de- we need to figure out why this sure. happened. Mm-hmm. I uh, I mean, and that's the point we want to stress here. We don't know why, and we're not pointing fingers. We're asking the question, why would the tribes relative to Chinook, which they hold near and dear to their heart. And as, Coho. And Coho. Why would they have such a tremendous cutback in their hatchery production, upwards of 65%? Um, if it was egg take, now it's a co-management, and they've done this before. You can get eggs from the state. The state can get eggs from the tribe. We've We've done that. So- Maybe that did or didn't happen. Again, we don't know. We don't know. And, you um, know, the numbers don't lie. We really just have, you know, we if you would think it was egg take, we had poor returns back to the hatchery. We did. We would see consistency between the department's releases mm-hmm. in 2016 and tribal. But there's a big drop-off here. It's concerning. We need to look at it more. Yeah. And the, the drop-off for uh, Coho was in and around, give me, about 
two thirds, I think, if I uh, remember reading. Yeah, I think both the figures for Chinook and, and Coho are in that 60, 65% range for the year. Um, you know, and overall, uh, for, for on the Coho side of the ledger, it's, you know, the, the tribal component is, is roughly 50% of mm-hmm. the overall hatcheries as compared to the state and the co-ops. We don't yep. really have federal hatchery releases We do anymore. not. You look at any contribution so, there, you know, exist. For, for the 2016, you know, the class of 2016, so to speak, we've got, you know, uh, probably about a, a 33% reduction between the tribe and the state yeah. in the overall hatchery releases in Puget Sound. On the Chinook, there's a lot more Chinook that are released into the Sound, so, you know, I would say it's probably roughly a 15 to 20 percent decrease but it's uh it's something we need to look at if anybody out there knows why you know reach out to Dwayne or i we're we're looking into this right now yeah if you want to make a comment of course uh as i usually do i forget to mention phone numbers and uh, text line 800 <laughs> 8290950 206-286-9595 text us up here at 49451 Get some activity going on the old text line for those guys that already know the number. It's been happening. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, text me in your comments or concerns, questions, 49451. Um, you know, the uh, interestingly enough, as you look at 2015, uh, when we dealt with the low returns. It's and a tough the, year. It's a real tough year. Uh, the, going into it, as we got to that midpoint and the, and the closures were happening and stuff, the, the big, one of the biggest concerns was hatcheries weren't going to get their egg take. And lo and behold, I would say – by who knows what means, but but by the end of it, majority of the hatcheries relative to coho got their egg take. Talked to a lot of them, and yeah, we barely made it, but we made it. Kind yeah, of once thing. we finally got some water, yep. you know, of course, it all happened. the fish come back, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we had some success. But um, yeah, over the you know next several years, we're we're seeing different water conditions. This year, we're going to see start some of these fish you know start to return, and of course, it's going to impact. Um, you know, what our projections uh, look like for all our season setting going forward. So moving forward, we yep. have to look at the big picture on this stuff and, and make sure we understand how it affects our opportunity in the future. Part of this information and uh, one reason for kind of taking a look at this as it relates to budget, as it relates to numbers of fish being planted is in the very near future. I'd mentioned this several weeks ago, um, getting ready to kind of dial in some some really good intel uh, through WDFW. Uh, we're going to break down Puget Sound hatchery programs as they currently exist, budget uh, restraints, or what's going on relative to how much monies are being pumped into these hatcheries. We're talking all of Puget Sound, every river basin in Puget Sound. How many hatcheries actually uh, contribute to each basin? Uh, both WDFW and tribal supported, and we know tribal hatcheries are predominantly federally supported. So, you know, there's a combination of state and federal dollars going in either through WDFW or tribal hatcheries. So. There's a lot going on. There's an educational component there. A lot of folks ask questions. They think uh, hatchery reform means just shutting hatcheries down. And, and what does this mean? We, uh, you look at steelhead, and we're talking about gene banks, and we can't put in hatchery fish. And all these ESA restraints out there in Puget Sound, it's, it's a mess. Yeah, it's a so, tough, it's a tough uh, field of play for any angler it right is. now. And I think that uh, part of being a successful angler, or maybe one of those guys in the top 5 or 10%, is knowing where this type of activity is occurring. So yep. you don't go back to the, the same river you've always gone to or the same spots. And mm-hmm. you know where the fish are going to be from for year to year. So that's the value you can bring to your listeners with that. There's a lot of that. And uh, so we'll break that down. We'll get the info from the state. We'll have uh, representatives from WDFW, fish biologists, fish managers, getting on here with us, explaining exactly what's going on. And that's in the near future. We're starting to put that all together now. So 
Uh, more of that to come, so stay tuned because that's going to be some very valuable information as we move forward in fisheries management uh, relative to Puget Sound. Okay, with that, we are uh, right up against a break here, jumping into Hour 2. We come back, we're going to kind of continue this Puget Sound conversation, Riley Fee, as we break down NOF 2017. Yeah. For all of Puget Sound, uh, we'll we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it as much as we can divulge uh, right here, Sports Radio 950 KGR and Comcast Sportsnet. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.